Take this bread, take this wine, now the simple may be done, for any to receive. By your mercy we come to your table, by your grace you will make me in us receive our morning tithes and our morning offerings. Blessed Assurance was written by Fanny Crosby in 1873 uh, after hearing a melody written by her friend Phoebe Knapp. For most hymns, the texts were written first and then set to music later, in some cases years later. Since this hymn was written upon hearing the melody, it is difficult to accurately relate the words to a particular scripture. However, the hymnal Hymns for the Living Church lists some 46 verse 2 as a reference for this hymn. It says, I will sing praise unto my God while I have any being. Father in heaven, we just give you praise and thanksgiving for that blessed assurance that, Lord, you are ours. I pray, God, as these folks give, may the offerings that they give give glory to you. Will they reach people with their hearts, Lord, that need so much to hear the gospel? Thank you, Lord, for these people. We're so appreciative of all that you've done for them. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's come into the presence of the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning with such grateful hearts, with the joy that we have in you, Christ, because of what you've done for us. As our brother here this morning expressed it in his note, uh, your son dying on a cross for us and for our sins is just so magnificent. We just can't thank you enough. And Father God, we come to you with many in our congregation who are struggling. We thank you for this nation, Lord, but we're concerned about it struggling too. There's a lot of things that are being thrown at our people. There's a lot of things that are being done so far distant from your will. And I pray, God, that you'll help us, the church, to rise up and be strong and take notice and give a witness. And that, Lord, that you will show people the way, that you'll change people's hearts and to realize a lot of this stuff that's going on is pure foolishness. I come to you this morning, especially, Lord, for those who, too, protect us every day, for those in our streets, for those across the sea that protect this wonderful country of ours from foreign infiltration, and for them setting marks in areas of the world to help others who are in bondage. I pray, Heavenly Father, too, for situations for Bill and Evelyn and Lucille and Karen and Kay and Joyce who are bound home, who want to be here, but they can't. I just pray be with them today as they worship you. I pray also, too, Father, for a woman, for help for her, Lord, that she sees and that she changes and comes to you, Christ. I pray for Heather, Lord, that you'll open her up. I pray also, too, for the children and for all that's being done, Father. I pray that you will give them wisdom and insight and learning to honor you. I pray also, too, for Rick, who's very sick right now, Lord. We just lift him up to you. I lift up also Kyle. I pray also, too, for Todd. I pray for his wife, Angie. I pray for Nick. I pray for Jason. I pray for Samantha. All these have life-changing illnesses. I pray, Christ, they will look to you and that you will bring healing to their bodies. I pray also, too, for Veronica, who lost her son last week to an overdose of fentanyl. I pray that you bring comfort to that family. I pray also for those that we know that burdened under addiction. I pray for Ryan and Jordan and David and Eric and Ricky and Mitch. They're under that bondage, Lord Jesus. I pray that they will look to you for strength and change and healing. Pray, Heavenly Father, too, for our church as we continue this journey out of the Reformed Church and into a new journey with the Bible Presbyterian Church, Lord, that you will give us a good witness.
And that even the denomination that we're leaving, that we can be a good witness, a loving witness, a witness that cares about people but shows them we do desire to follow your truth. And Father, I pray for the families of our church, that you will protect them. I pray for the young people in our church who, Lord, as they move through life and as they prepare themselves and they meet someone, that that marriage will be a relationship honoring you, Christ. And that, Lord, you will give them wisdom on the choices that they make and the people they have these relationships with. I pray also too, Father God, for what's going on in our schools and our children. I pray for the school here. We praise you, Lord, for this school that it teaches your word and gives values to the folks. I pray for all the teachers who work hard in the public school system, but it seems that sometimes it's a struggle. But I pray that you protect them. I pray also, too, that schools understand that parents are important and that they should have a say in what's going on in their child's life. And Father, I pray for fathers, as Lord, as we to lead our homes. And I pray for mothers, as we come on up on Mother's Day, that you'll give them also the ability to strengthen and encourage their families. And Father, now as we come before you, Lord, we need to hear from you today. Our hearts need to be changed. And Lord, today we ask that your word will speak to each one of us individually and that something, maybe a whole bunch of things, will hit us that we need to work on and change. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Many years ago, my wife and I and our family went down to Colonial Williamsburg in Virginia. And in Colonial Williamsburg, there's a beautiful church there, and everything is back, way back into the revolutionary times. In fact, we went to a church that was built in 1715, and it was an Episcopal church. And it was unique because it had plaques on it where George Washington, James Madison, where Patrick Henry and Thomas Jefferson all sat on Sundays. And at the pulpit was the center, and if you could see it on this piece here, here, this is the pulpit that would be 10 feet in the air, and it would... Preacher would basically bellow <laughs> from there. And that, though the interesting part about it is, too, the pews had doors on them. I don't know if you see that, but they had doors. But the most important thing about the church is the way it was built. If you notice, this church is this way, but there's also this way. And basically, The formation of that church, which a lot of churches in Europe and even in in New York City and major metropolitan areas where they have cathedrals, are built like a cross. And to remind people, and they're called the cruciform, to remind people what the foundation of the Christian faith is. And today, as we come to the end of Moses' work with the Israelites, in the end of 
Exodus, God had given Moses twice specifics on how to build the tabernacle. The tabernacle was really tents that were put together so that the people could see God's presence in their midst, that they could also see that God was not only there, but he brought forgiveness to them through sacrifice. In fact, what Moses was called to build specifically was to be reflected later on in heaven. And there's so many lessons that we can learn from this architecture that God had given them. And they even had a way to break it down because, you see, it had to be mobile so they could continue through the desert. And what they did is they positioned it in the center of the people. And that when they took off, a certain group of people would grab certain parts of the tabernacle. And they would then come back and set it up with their priest. And what would happen is, is that the tabernacle, though, was always the focus point. It was the center. And God was trying to get to Israel to understand that God should be the center of their worship. God should be the center of their lives. And they wanted the assurance that God was with them. Now, it's interesting that God was with the children of Israel even before the tabernacle was built. Think about it. The children of Israel were in the desert. There was no water, no food. And yet you have almost three million people being led by Moses. And each day they needed 500 tons of food which equates to two freight trains a mile long each to feed that amount of people. That they also needed 4,000 tons of wood to cook their food. And 3 million gallons of water in the desert. How did that all happen? It was God, not Moses, because God was with them and God was leading them and God provided for them. And here we find that our God is an awesome God like that with us. And today, Paul has told us to be careful how we build our lives. And Moses was very careful how he put together the tabernacle. In fact, he did it just the way God wanted it. He says, Beelzeb and Obaliah, and every craftsman in whom the Lord had skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Beelzeb and Obliah. And every craftsman in the mind of God had put skill. And every one of those hearts stirred him up to come and to do the work. And according to all the Lord had commanded. And this is critical. This is key for us. Because seven times in chapter 39. Seven times in chapter 40. And seven times in Leviticus 8. This phrase, all that the Lord had commanded Moses did. Very specific. And all the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work. And behold, 
They had it done it. As the Lord had commanded, so had they done it. Then Moses blessed them. Now we remember Exodus opened with God revealing himself at the burning bush. And it's going to close with God's glory being shown in this tabernacle that's been built according to God's specifications. Now we understand very importantly when God says something, we immediately obey it. And we live it out fully. And Moses had to wear a veil when he had gone in to talk to the Lord in the cloud earlier on. And it wasn't because they were afraid of his glow, but that it was fading. The Bible tells us we have a way in which his glory does not fade in our lives. And what we find here is so powerful. Because the big question with Israel always was, is God with us? Is he going to remain with us? And especially after they fell to idolatry. They really wanted to know. Like the man in Mark chapter 9 who says, I believe, but help my unbelief. They weren't sure. God had almost wiped them off the face of the earth. If it wasn't for Moses who interceded for them. And here now in Exodus chapter 1, we picked up that God had taken this group of people. 400 years. Left them in Egypt. And they had to go through slavery and suffering. And God had that all happen. And one of the questions they asked at that time, all through it, does God hear us? Does God remember us? Does God even see or know what we're going through? And the Bible is very clear about it. He did. And he had a purpose in their suffering. He wanted them to grow as a nation. Without them going through those difficulties, they would not be a strong nation that they were going to need to be as they left Egypt 400 years later and went into the desert and crossed the Red Sea. They needed to be built up, and that's what God did in that 400 years. I know sometimes we have problems, don't we? And we wonder if God is there for us. We wonder if God is really listening to our prayers. Is he really with us, especially when we're not getting the answers we want? We're struggling. Is he really with us? Moses went to Pharaoh and continued to hammer on him, saying, let my people go. And Pharaoh made it worse for them. They got mad at Moses and didn't want him to be infecting this thing. And just let it go, Moses. God's not listening to you. But God was. He was listening to them very clearly. He knew what they needed. Sometimes God does that to us, doesn't he? He puts you in a spot that's difficult. That you really do not like. And he's forcing us. To be strengthened in the faith. Brother James says that in his epistle. That God is working through those things to build us. So that we can be stronger into the next thing that we have to go on. 
It's naive to think that God just starts with us here and just puts us through a thing and that's over. No, this is the beginning part for that, to build us for this. And for they're going to go through this in order to go to get to this. And then from there, and we're going to continue to grow. And one of the most important things we got to realize and believe and understand that God is with us. And that he will guide us through. I was reading Psalm 31 last night and to read about David and all the struggles that he was going through and how people were turning his back and stabbing him in the back. How the people that he thought he could count on turned on him. But he knew God was with him. That's what anchored him to be strong. Israel, when they didn't understand that and they would immediately collapse they tried to build a, an idol so that they could have something tangible that they could see him. And God was saying, no, that's wrong. And what God wants to show him is glory. And you see, this is the key. God's glory, the word is kabod in Hebrew, and it means weight. It means heaviness. And what that means is that when you go through those faith journey experiences. It's not Christianity McLight. It's going deep inside your own soul. And evaluating how much you really trust this God in Jesus Christ. And that the trivialities... Life seem unimportant. One of the tragedies in the church today is there has been such an emphasis on the glitz and the glamour and the fun and has not looked at the depth of God and who He is. It's tragic because what has happened in Christian circles and in churches. They have faith that's an inch deep but a mile wide. And they're crumbling to the things of our society. And the pressures of our society to conform to the society rather than conform to the word of God. I was disgusted the other day when I heard a colleague preaching about the atonement of Jesus Christ, which is blood on the cross that washes away our sins. And he totally blew it right out of the water and said, No, you don't believe that. The real atonement is when we accept other people and that we have this everybody welcome. And that Jesus' atonement's not that important. I'm glad the man was not in front of me. Because you know as well as I do. There are people who have hermeneutics. They have the gay hermeneutic. They have the trans hermeneutic. In fact, one of the things that I'm being really committed on to doing this fall in September. Is I want to have a class about the hot potatoes of our society today. How do we respond to those issues and others. With the facts of what scripture says. 
And how do we help them to see what God wants? Not what I feel, not what I think, but what does God say about it? And how do we convey that to him in a loving way? In fact, the verse that I'm going to use to lead that study is 1 Peter chapter 3, where it says, Submit to Jesus as Lord, and make every defense of the faith that is in you, but do it with gentleness and reverence. Because we need to give them information that they need to hear from God's word, and not something they feel that they want. No. God brought to them the tabernacle to let them know that they are with them. And we understand that. And we believe and trust that we don't need that tabernacle. Because the tabernacle is in us. And that we know what God wants. And how we reason with the people of our day in this generation of the absurd. That's what it is. It's absurdity. And it's failing. It's failing itself and failing its children. And that we who trust in God, we have a God who gives us the answers Men and women don't want that answer. But we need to supply them with it. They need to see what God wants. They're confused. And because we can sell things and market things a certain way, people are buying into the baloney of our world. And not seeing the truth. And we need intercessors. Like Moses was for, to God for the children of Israel, we need brothers and sisters who are praying for us every day as we go into the battle and face this and deal with this. And that we don't get ourselves caught up into the baloney of this world. We need people who are brothers and sisters who are honest and say, that you shouldn't be doing. Because... I know you love Christ. And that is wrong. And let me tell you folks. <laughs> this is not for cowards. This is tough stuff. Because when we confront people. Even Christians. You can see it sometimes. The denial. Oh that. Oh. That was just a little thing. Really. I remember sitting in a car with a brother preacher. Who I had immense respect for. When I was in college, he was my pastor. And when I got into seminary, he had moved and then we found out that he had had a, an affair. And I said to him, what was that all about? Oh, that was nothing. Nothing. Oh, really? That's why we need intercessors. 
We need people who can bring out the honesty and be honest with you. And so finally, he came to grips with what he did. But he tried to pass it off. No big deal. It is a big deal. As Moses, we see God has given him specific instructions how to build the tabernacle. And all through Exodus 39, Exodus 40, Leviticus 8, seven times each, he says they did as the Lord commanded. And we folks have to be very careful. Dietrich Bonhoeffer one time wrote a book and it was very excellent. It's the cost of discipleship. And one of the things he said, the danger with us as Christians, because we have such a merciful God, such a gracious God, that we don't cheapen grace and that we do what God says. Not because we have to. We believe in Jesus Christ and our hearts are burning for him. We want to do. Because we have Jesus in our heart through the Holy Spirit. And what did Jesus say? My job here on earth is to do the will of him who sent him. That's God the Father. And that's us. And we want to do that. We want to obey God. And truly fulfill what he desires for us. As we look and walk through the New Testament and we walk through the Old Testament, God shows us great things and how the spiritual transformation continues to take place as we go through life and He sanctifies us. We are justified and given grace to welcome and be forgiven. But he doesn't stop with us there. That's just the beginning of the process. He then comes inside of us and he sanctifies us. And that we go into this process of continuing to refine ourselves and pulling out the world and putting in God in our life and becoming doers of the word of God. And that we need each other. To intercede for one another because there are so many temptations. So many draws and pulls from the world. Look at Jesus. Even Peter, whom he loved dearly and who loved Jesus, tried to get him off track. Satan was using him to get him off track from going to the cross and dying. He said, Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Because he knew Peter was uttering the words for Satan himself. We need to be able to recognize that. Not fall for it. Many Christians are falling for all this stuff that's being taught in their churches. That has nothing to do with God and what he wants. But to be set free so that you can be the person you want to be. Sounds like an army commercial for crying out loud. And that instead, that we be the person God wants us to be. 
Now, some people will say, well, Dave, you're getting a little legalistic here. No, 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 no. Not legalistic. If I truly have the heart of Jesus in me and you, we want to do what Jesus does. We want to have his heart in us. And not be looking away how we can get around this, but to do his will. And not be flipping with his grace and say, well, he'll just have to forgive me. I remember that phrase that people would always say. I'll do it now and I'll ask for forgiveness later. That's not the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of selfishness. That's the heart of making yourself an idol and doing what you want. It's flippant. And Moses, the Bible says, 21 times in those verses that he did what the Lord commanded. That's what we should do. And now we come to a situation, though, that's amazing. A colossal constraint that happens with Moses. It's very peculiar. Moses had been in and out of the cloud and talking with God and getting all this instruction. But now the tent was completed. And it was done. And it says in chapter 40, And when they went into the tent meeting, and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar, and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished his work. And then the cloud comes on the tabernacle. And the cloud covered the tent meeting. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. How is it that Moses was in and out of the clouds on top of the Sinai? How is it that he's by the tabernacle? He built it. And he's going in. He's going to inspect it. He can't go in. That's peculiar. God had a purpose for him. He needed to realize this was special. Oh, he will go in later on. The high priest will go in later on. But he's being held back right now. Because God has shown him this is his tabernacle. And it is his glory. One person said it's kind of like a builder. Who goes in and out of the house and is fixing everything up. But once the deed has been given to the family owner. And it's sold to him. That builder gets rid of those keys and gives them to the owner. He can't walk in and out of that house anymore. And that's owned here by God. And he's wanting to show Moses and the children of Israel who are saying, how can God be with us if Moses can't get in? How can we get in? 
Why, he was chosen by God, and he can't get in. And God was showing how powerful he was, and that you just can't go into the Holy of Holies. That now the priest was anointed to go into the Holy of Holies once a year to pay for the sin. And that is not carte blanche here. Yes, we can be in the presence of God all the time. But when one comes to getting into the Holy of Holies, there needs to be sacrifice. Shedding of blood so that the person can be made pure. Going in there by God. We saw that on the cross of Jesus Christ, right? That holy of holies. Where the curtain was woven and could not be broken. And only the priest was allowed in once a year. Now Jesus Christ on the cross. As he dies, that curtain is cut. And it's opened up to us. Because the lamb. The sacrificial lamb died once and for all so that we could have direct access with our Father. And we could go in. And that Israel at this point doesn't know that. But that God is going to be present with them as they see the tabernacle in their midst every day. And he's by their side. And that now... They can be assured that he's present with them. And that God is setting them up to come to the end of Exodus here. Why? So he's building on what's going to happen in Leviticus. Which is all the sacrificing is going to go on. They're going to learn how they need to come to God with their sin forgiven. And in the New Testament we know Jesus has taken down that wall now. And we forever are in his presence because of what Jesus died on the cross and did to our sins. One of the tragedies of it is in our society, people are making mockery of the truth of this. And yet we know that we have a Savior who's died for our sins. And we don't have to be fearful of not having access. Because he died once and for all. And because of that, our lives are forgiven. Because of that, we're children of the Heavenly Father. That we have full access. And that he's present with us all the time. This is the tragedy of our world. We have many people in our world, folks, that we as Christians know. And I know as Christians, sometimes this is hard. Because we have wonderful relationships here on the earth that the Lord allows us to have. But there comes a time that they fail us, they die. I know a great gal who loved her mother. They had a wonderful relationship. She was her best friend. And then one day, the Lord came. She had cancer. And went through the cancer 
In six months, she was gone. And she came to the realization that really, the only one we have in all of eternity is God. All other relationships, they may not mean to fail you, but they will. We should appreciate those relationships while we have them here. But like Corey Temboom came to the realization with her sister. Here Betty was Betsy was her best friend. They had gone to concentration camp together. They shared the grief of losing their parents to the Nazi regime. And now they came to the barracks. And they took Betsy to the gas chamber and had her killed. In Corey Tenboom, in her book, she writes, I learned at that point that whatever you have in this life, hold on to it in your hand loosely so that God doesn't have to pry it out of your hand. Because he wants you to understand that he's the only one we have for all eternity. It's tragic to me in our society today. How many people feel alone that they don't have anybody? And some of it's not true, but they've imagined that they're alone and they don't feel the love of people who love them. I don't know if you watched. Last night we were watching Tampa Bay Devil Rays play the New York Yankees. And all of them had a ribbon on their chest. And on that ribbon, it was green. And I'm trying to figure out, I got on my phone and I looked it up. And the reason why they're wearing that green ribbon is because they had a coach last year for the devil race who took his life. Didn't feel that someone was there for him. That was overwhelmed with life. Took his life. Sociologists tell us that there's a lot of people in our world who get tattoos. It was a big phenomenon for a while. Why? Because they don't feel that they're being noticed by people. And they have to do something special to be noticed. We're seeing that in many avenues of the social dysfunction of our time. People feel alone. When we were in New York City with my brother, I went over to Katz's Deli. And as we were crossing over the George Washington Bridge, they had put a net over the walkway to try to stop people from jumping off the George Washington Bridge. And one of the most peculiar things that sociologists have been trying to figure out is that when people jump, they leave their shoes where they jump from. To say to the world, I was here 
And I'm not sure if I left the difference, but at least you will know that I was here. Scary. Because they don't know. They're not alone. That's the joy we have in Christ. We are never alone. As Israel needed to see the tabernacle, we have the Holy Spirit who's inside of us and that we are never alone. The cloud continued, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle day and the fire by night. And in the sight of the house, Israel, through all its journeys, they saw that the tabernacle showing that God was with them. But now we, as believers, we have within our hearts, which God calls his tabernacle. We have been given the Holy Spirit, who is always with us that assures us that we are His, that we belong to God's family, that we understand that sin cannot separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Paul gives this resounding, powerful point to us to understand this. When we come to chapter 7 in Romans and he says, I can't help myself. As a Christian, he's saying this. The very things I want to do, I don't do. And the very things I don't want to do, I wind up doing them. And he ends up with this frustration. And he says, what help do we have? And then he says, Jesus Christ forgave our sins. And then in Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in us. And then he goes on and says, we're led by the Spirit, our sons of God. We did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear and all the old idols, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, for whom we cry, Abba, Father, the, the term of endearment to a father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then were heirs, everything that Christ has is ours. The heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. That's the beauty of this whole thing. We're not alone. We're his children. He lives inside of us and we're always will be his child. And he gives us this beautiful splendorous idea the sure confidence that we don't have to fear <laughs> but be free. Spectacular. Wonderful. And you see, he even conveys this. Moses does in the building of the tabernacle. 
we have the cross. And so we can approach God. They didn't have the cross then. But they had a brazen altar. Which the sins were paid for and atoned for and washed away. And then they had the laver. Which is an indication of what's gonna, what happens with us. Not only in Christ as our sins washed away. But then, God does two things for us. Well, more than that, but number one, He imputes Christ's righteousness on us. You are His righteousness, the Bible says. And He imputes that righteousness on us. And then, (laughs) He imparts His holiness to us. To be set apart from the world. Knowing that our sins are washed away and now we are pure. Before Almighty God to stand before His throne faultless without a spot on us. For Jesus' sake. And today I want to encourage you. That you live as if and as you know that he is present with you every day. And that the Holy Spirit guides you in the decisions of life that you make. And that people see your walk, the way you live, as Jesus. And really show it. I read this beautiful story about a place in Switzerland where they were having an oratorio of the Messiah, Handel's Messiah. It was in Switzerland, and they had this great choir, and they had this great orchestra, but they brought in a ringer to sing part of the oratorio. She was from the opera. She was to sing this part where it says, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Powerful song. If you ever want to hear a beautiful piece that will bring you to your knees. (sighs) Sends chills up my spine. Every time I hear it. And she began as the conductor started conducting them. And her diction was flawless. Her technique was marvelous. But this old conductor stopped everybody. In this practice. And he looked over at her. And he said, young lady, do you really believe that your Redeemer lives? She was stunned. The whole orchestra was stunned. And she said, sure, I'm a Christian and I believe that Jesus died for my sins. 
And then he said, you sing it like you believe that. Because I didn't feel that. And they started all over. And she sang it with her whole heart. And at the end, that old conductor came down off his podium and he hugged her and said, now I know you know your Redeemer liveth and kissed her. And folks, when we're out there, put your heart into your work and into your obedience and into your following Christ so that we can reveal to this sick world the powerful love of Christ in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you today for the privilege that we have in you, Christ. And we thank you that we truly do know that you live. And because you live and have conquered death and sin, we live also. Help us, Lord, to attack this life with enthusiasm and gratitude towards you, knowing that you are with us every day and that you are our friend and our brother. Help us when we feel sometimes like we're going to shrink to boost us with your Holy Spirit. Help us when we're tempted to give us eyes to see through the temptation and follow you, Jesus. I thank you now, Lord, for this reminder as we come before you with the table and you remind us of this great love you have for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Beloved in the Lord, we're here to remember, to commune, and celebrate the hope that we have in Christ. When we come to remember, we remember that the Lord Jesus was sent by the Father into the world to deal with our sin and live an obedient life so our sins could be forgiven and satisfaction on God's part could be satisfied of the justice our sin deserved. We come to you also here right now to know that you are with us that we commune together as we partake in taking of the bread and drinking of the cup. And Lord, we leave here today with great hope. As this table reminds us that we are the most hopeful of all the world. And that your kingdom was going to fully come. And at that time, we'll be with you fully. Thank you, God, for this opportunity. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Lord Jesus, the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread. 
And he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance of the body of Jesus Christ that was broken on our behalf. Amen. In like manner also he took the cup. And when they had supped, he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This to you as often as you drink it. Remembrance of me. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. Heavenly Father, we with David say, Bless the Lord, all our souls. And all that's within us, bless your holy name. Forgive us the times we forget the benefits. 
when you heal our diseases and crown us with everlasting life. We are so grateful today, Lord, to be with you here and know that you abide with us. Thank you for this time together, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Please rise as we receive the benediction and sing our closing song. Now God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, shine in your hearts to bring to the praise and glory of our Father now and forever. Amen. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. He has done great things. He has done great things. He has done great things. Bless his holy name. Hi, girls. How are you? Guess who's coming out? <laughs>